0: One Michigan City Council just approved a Muslim majority population's right to a religious animal sacrifice. We also know the Jews will resume animal sacrifices in the near future. Are animal sacrifices scriptural, and should Christians participate in them? Well, we'll discuss it on this edition of the End Time Show.
1: You're listening to a replay of The End Time Show.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you for joining me on this edition of The End Time Show. And, wow, animal sacrifices. uh, Quite the topic, right? The Washington Times reported an article that a new law in a Muslim-majority Michigan city will let residents religiously sacrifice animals at their home. The City Council of Hamtramck, Michigan, which has a Muslim-majority population, voted recently to allow the religious sacrifice of animals at people's homes. The city had banned animal sacrifices in December, but legal advice from the city attorney changed the council's mind. An animal sacrifice is protected by a 30-year-old Supreme Court precedent which upheld the right of practitioners in the centaria faith to commit animal sacrifice. Now of course the animal rights activists they're howling at the moon over this because they don't believe you should kill any animals and so but this there's kind of a, a precedence being set and it has been set for a while because we know that animal sacrifices will begin again on the Temple Mount very soon. The Bible prophesies sacrifices will resume in the end time. Animal sacrifices. The prophesied Israeli-Palestinian peace agreement mentioned in Daniel 9.27 will place the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement between Muslims and Jews. According to Revelation 11.1 1 and 2, and Israel will be allowed to build her third temple without disturbing the Muslim holy places. And When the temple is completed, animal sacrifices will be offered just like they were in the Old Testament. You think the animal rights activists are upset about what's going on in Michigan right now. Just wait till the Jews are sacrificing an animal every morning and every evening, every day on the Temple Mount. They're going to do that just like they did in the Old Testament. And these are the sacrifices that the Antichrist will cause to stop And so we know sacrifices are going to be resumed because you can't stop a non-existent sacrifice, right? But the question I want to pose to you today, what's that have to do with all of us? Do Christians need to participate in animal sacrifices? Should we support a future animal sacrifice in Israel? Do Christians need a potential red heifer? Well, some may wonder if Christians are still under the law of the red heifer. Scripture clearly teaches us the Old Testament law was merely a type and shadow of New Testament realities. And I'm going to get into this today, and you'll know why before I'm done. Hebrews 10.1 says it this way, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things... Just a shadow can never with those animal sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. And we'll understand that before the program's over with today. The book of Colossians also teaches many of the commandments in the Old Testament are simply symbols of New Testament realities. Bible says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of an holy day or a new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. That's Colossians 2, 16 through 17. So in the New Testament, Jesus is the perfect and final sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, explains it this way. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the, to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, there are a lot of principles there and I'm going to try to help you work all these things out because there's so much about Bible sacrifice and animal sacrifices and things happening in the New Testament and a lot of different people are weighing some different things out. Should Christians potentially do this? And I know you say, well, no, a Christian shouldn't do that, but I know Christians who are contemplating, speculating about maybe we should still be under the law. Okay? So there are people wrestling with these things and I want to make sure we understand What's the Christian role in all of this? I want you to know that Jesus Christ died to deliver us from the curse of death that we were under. We don't need physical animal sacrifices. The Bible says that they will implement them in the very near future. But a Christian individual does not need that. Okay. Hebrews 2, 9, and then verse 14 says, But we, Jesus, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He, Jesus, might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So in uh, Revelation one eighteen, Jesus said, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and now I have the keys of hell and death, not Satan, that contract was, contract was broken at Calvary. The law of sin and death, and we'll get into that. But now Jesus Christ has the keys of hell and death. Death has been replaced with eternal life for those that have been born again. Every human being that's ever born, has ever been born beyond Adam and Eve, was under the law of sin and death. But that has now been changed for those that have been born again and will obey the gospel of the kingdom of God. So we'll get into this a lot deeper on the back side of the break here. I think you're going to be very interested in this because this can completely transform your walk with God and your Christian experience because there are a lot of people are questioning that right now. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God.
1: Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. You're listening to a replay of The End Time Show.
0: Think of it like this. The death sentence that all of humanity was under has now been replaced by eternal life for those that have been born again. Now we're going to get deep into that because this this will revolutionize a, a, a Christian's way of thinking if you're contemplating, well, maybe we're still under the law. Maybe I should support and participate in animal sacrifices, should Israel start that up again? You say, well, there's no way I do that. I know some people who believe that as we speak. I've had personal friends that have went back under this Judaism belief system and said, hey, maybe we're still under the law. Are you questioning that? I know some people are. and We want to make sure you understand what this is all about before the program's over with. Before we get there, I'll be doing a prophecy conference in Houston this weekend. I'll be at Pastor David Foss's Church, Bethel Tabernacle, 1020 FM, 1960 East. Uh, That's North Houston. That is this Saturday, uh, January 21, from 6 to 8 p.m. I'll be teaching the uh, Understanding the End Time, this great overview. We went through it this last Saturday. It was awesome. And then... Sunday morning, January 22nd, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'll be going through a Breaking Prophecy News and going through just article after article and things you need to know about how we're way off into this end time and uh, many things that I haven't went through on the radio. So you need to come down to the conference if you're in North Houston area. I know we've been having people come from two or three hours away to come to these conferences, and we've had great crowds, and it's been awesome. So looking forward to seeing you guys in Houston this weekend. If you need more information, endtime.com. Go to the events and the conferences tab. There are maps, phone numbers, everything to get you to the conference. It's no charge. First come and you can get a great seat. Okay? Okay. So, the death sentence. Every human being was under. If you've been born again, now you have a promise of eternal life. Let's go to uh, Romans 5.17. It teaches us The curse of death that was brought upon us by the disobedience of the first Adam. That has now been replaced by eternal life through the obedience of the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Aren't we glad that we don't have to wait for a qualified red heifer before we can be liberated from the curse of death? I don't have to participate in a ongoing animal sacrifice for me to have eternal life. The role of the red heifer and the the sacrifices in the Old Testament has now been fulfilled by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this, is, uh, this is Christianity 101. So, yes, everyone, the, with, with, with these and many other prophecies converging at the same time, well, the, everything, world government, mark of the beast, I mean, everything's coming down. We're watching precursors, world religion, all these different things. It's easy to see that we're in the end time just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ and that we're going to watch some animal sacrifices happening in the near future. But I have been completely liberated from the law of sin and death, and now I have a promise of eternal life because I've been born again. That's why we offer the brochure. We have sent out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of the brochure. What do you mean, born again? It goes through all the scriptures. It's on our website. You can call here one eight hundred three six three eight four six three. 363 8463 and ask, can you send me a what-do-you-mean-born-again brochure? We send you one free. Now, the reason, one of the main reasons I wanted to do this program today is because having said all of that, you would think, well, hey, that, that pretty much explains it, Dave. Well, I wish it did. And so having said all of that, some, even some Christians, are questioning, I've had to go through this with some people, They're questioning whether we are still under the law and should we support a future sacrifice for the atonement for sin. I I have had, again, I have had personal friends that considered themselves Christians that have come to the conclusion that we're still under the law and potentially that we still need animal sacrifices. Which is why I want to go into a little more detail about sacrifices, the Old Testament law, and our transition away from that on the program today. Because when think about this. Think about the red heifer and things we've been talking about on the program and things that will happen in the future in Israel. There's going to be a lot of news media and stir around animal sacrifices beginning at the Temple Mount. And some people that are considering themselves Christians are getting caught up in this. Now, I want you you to be as solid as a rock here. Jesus Christ is your ultimate sacrifice. He died so that you could be taken out from under the law of sin and death. And so this is the essence of Christianity, and I want to make sure we're all solid as a rock on this. Yes, I I hope to be there when they start sacrificing animals and report on it and do different things but I I do not support that. I look to Jesus Christ for the ultimate sacrifice, not to an animal sacrifice. If the animal sacrifices were working, Jesus Christ came and died in vain, right? However, the Bible says no flesh was justified by the blood of bulls and goats. A spotless lamb had to come and die. A human being who had never sinned to break the law of sin and death. The first Adam we entered into the law of sin and death. We lost our sonship with the first Adam, The second Adam, Jesus Christ, broke that contract and now you can have eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the act of Calvary. It's the absolute best thing, the absolute best thing that you can ever do in your life is to be pulled out from under the law of sin and death. And that's why I worship Jesus Christ, Every chance I get because now I have a promise of eternal life, my wife has a promise, my kids, my grandkids, and you do too. This is so, this is the most awesome way to live. Now, let me get deep off into this. Adam and Eve were sons of God. Almighty God intended for human beings to have a special relationship with Him, He made them sons of God. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 38, it says, Which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. So in this chapter, there's a complete genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And when God made Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life, God was the Father of that being. Adam was a son of God. Sonship is God's destiny for you and me and for every human being. This is what God intended. This is God's plan for all of us. We we were not designed to be a child of sin or a child of Satan. We were ordained to be a child of God. However, we have an enemy who has sowed a lot of bad seeds and caused a lot of problem, hasn't he? And so, but I don't want him to be the ruler of my life. I want Jesus Christ to rule my life in every way, to be the the very fiber of my being. I want it wrapped right around Jesus and my hands in his hands, worshiping him so I can spend eternity with him. Mankind was created innocent originally. Have you ever thought what it was like to live in the Garden of Eden? I mean, Genesis chapter 2, 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Mankind lived in a state of innocence. There was no guilt. Imagine living in a world, no guilt. You just had all kinds of energy, there's no guilt weighing you down. You didn't have bills, you didn't have, I mean, it was just complete innocence. Well, the first Adam, he had a problem. He disobeyed God. But the second Adam obeyed. Jesus Christ is referred to as the second Adam. Um, Romans 5, 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Not by the blood of bulls and goats. You understand? We're gonna get to that here in just a moment. We have to decide whether we walk in the footsteps of the first Adam or whether we walk in the footsteps of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The footsteps of the first Adam lead us into disobedience, born in sin, shape in iniquity, and the footsteps of the second Adam lead us into obedience to God. Jesus Christ humbled Himself and became obedient to the death of the cross even when he didn't need to die because he was not under the law of sin and death. He had never sinned, so he didn't owe the law of sin and death. You say, okay, you're sitting here talking about the law of sin and death. What does that mean? Well, there is a concept that is introduced to us early in Genesis. If you look at um, Genesis 2.17... It says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So it's the law of sin and death. Um, It's a law that still affects us today. And it's called the law of sin and death. If you go to, um, this is a very key scripture. Ezekiel 18 verse 4. It says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's the law of sin and death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the law of sin and death... Ruled from Adam until Jesus Christ. Romans eight two tells us for the law of spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So for four thousand years, Adam until Jesus, mankind was locked into this law, the law of sin and death, and it reigned from Adam till Jesus Christ. Because all had sinned and everyone under the power of the law was placed in under the law of sin and death. When Jesus came, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. You've got to get this principle. Because there are people with the mindset today, I know personally, Christians who have said, well, no, we should still be under the law. And I'm going, huh? what? No, no. Once you're born again, the law of sin and death does not apply to you. So, sin entered the human race. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The sentence of death dwells on every single person unless you've been born again. Now, again, remember the Bible says the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, so we've got a promise of eternal life and thank the Lord that that's the case, right? Because without Jesus we would have no hope. But there was a time that animal sacrifices were Absolutely necessary. And you had to do animal sacrifices to obey God. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, innocence was lost once they disobeyed. Genesis 3, 7-8. through 8. And the eyes of them were both opened, Adam and Eve, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together to try to hide their nakedness and to make, them, they make themselves aprons and... They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord because now they felt guilt. They ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from and man, it just set up in them this thing of guilt. And so when the Lord came down in the cool of the evening, they hid. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden and innocence was lost and guilt came upon them. Oh, I've never felt this before. I'm guilty because of disobedience. Because something has to die and blood has to be shed for the atonement for sin. Sacrifices were instituted. Because remember, God killed an animal to put clothes on Adam and Eve. Something had to die because they disobeyed. Something had to die to cover cover them up. So, that's a principle that we're going to learn. Something has to die. Blood has to be shed for the atonement for sin. So over time, sacrifices were instituted, but those were only, this is very important, those were only a stopgap measure. They were important at the time, but those were only a stopgap measure until a sinless human being, somebody who had never sinned, would die to break that contract. And that's how you and I, through what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, can have a promise of eternal life. And wow, I, guess what? We're gonna get more information on this after the break.
1: The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part Two, The late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com.
2: Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you, and we
1: love you. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age... Go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. You're listening to a replay of The End Time Show.
0: Now, it's important that you understand here that the law and the sacrifices and everything that was implemented in the Old Testament, that was ordained by God. But again, those were stopgap measures bringing us to Christ. We're going to talk about that uh, and get deep off into that here in the remaining part of the program. So, if you go to Hebrews 10.1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, so it's a shadow here, it's a shadow of a reality that's coming. In other words, my name's Dave Robbins. I'm 6'3", I weigh about 265, 270. I cast a shadow, but my shadow is not me. Me, who you're looking at right now or listening to on the radio, that's me. Not my shadow. My shadow casts. Sometimes if the sun's behind me, my shadow, I'll make a shadow, and if we're coming up to a corner and you're coming up the other side, You'll see the shadow of the reality that's to come, but you don't see me. You see the shadow. Well, the Bible says that the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never make those sacri- uh, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year, continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. They were a stopgap measure until Calvary. This is very important because you may run across somebody that says, well, we should, re- we should really still be under the law. We should be holding, keeping all those 613 laws and doing sacrifices and things like that. And What are you going to say to that person? Oh, no. No, no. Only up until Jesus Christ. Our salvation is so wonderful since the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came and undid all the damage done by the first Adam so that we can live a guilt-free life. You say, wow, how is that? I'm a Christian and I live under guilt. You don't have to. Because Romans 8, 1 tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Genesis three twenty one says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Innocence was lost by Adam and Eve, and they were living under condemnation. The whole world was plunged into guilt and condemnation because of them. Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, and they needed to make some clothes. So again, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and then God came along and saw them, and God killed an animal to make a covering for them. These, again, these are types and shadows of a reality that's coming in the future. But God killed an animal to make a covering for them. While God was killing the animal, he was shedding blood. There is a principle here. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions for sins. God has what was already moving his salvation plan along in order for mankind to be redeemed. You say, well, but Dave, blood's got to be shed. We should actually be sacrificing animals. No, because we look back to Calvary. One man died once and for all, a spotless lamb, to purchase a plan of salvation for all of us to obey. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, it tells us that Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Think about this. Adam was the keeper of sheep, or I'm sorry, Abel was the keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He had gardens and different things. In the process of time, Cain and Abel offered sacrifices to God in Genesis 4, verse 3. The Bible says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain, who was the tiller of the ground, he brought fruit of the ground and an offering unto the Lord. So there was a sincere desire to worship God in Cain. So Cain brought and offered unto the Lord. Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock as an offering to God. Both of them began to worship God. Now, we don't know exactly how they learned that they should worship God, but they were doing it. But we do know that Adam and Eve sinned and God killed an animal and make clothes out of the animal for them to wear, and the shedding of blood was involved in that covering of sin, the covering up of their uh, what was giving them guilt. So, a problem developed in Genesis 4, 4-5. through 5. The Bible says, And Abel he also brought of the first things of the flock, and of the fat thereof, an, a, an animal sacrifice. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering... He had no respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And this means that God liked Abel's offering and accepted that and received it, but he did not like Cain's offering. And this was bad because Cain was the oldest brother. He made his offering first, and perhaps it was even his idea, but there was a flaw in Cain's approach to God. Why was Cain's offering not acceptable? Well, remember, Cain offered fruit of the ground because this was what he had to offer. He was raising fruit, he raised vegetables and things like that, so he was giving that as an offering unto God. But Abel was a raiser of flocks, so he killed one of his animals and offered it to God. And God accepted his offering, but he did not accept Cain's. And we find out why, all the way back in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is is no remission. Folks, the remission, there is no payment for. To remit means to pay for. They want payment. The life was and is today in 2023. The life was back then and is in the blood. Do you thank Jesus Christ for the blood that he shed at Calvary? It's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. The blood, the Bible says his blood is continually cleansing somebody who's been born again. That's why you can live with a pure conscience. You say, well, but I made a mistake yesterday. Repent and get up and keep on going. Don't let it sidetrack you. People are going to make mistakes. Now, if it's in your mind uh, to make mistakes and, hey, I'll just do whatever I want, now you got a problem. But if you're doing the best you can and you make a mistake, you get on your knees, you ask God to forgive you, and the Bible says His blood is continually cleansing you. And people need to understand about the physical blood and the spiritual blood. Your blood in your body, whom God, God created that, is continually cleansing your body of impurities. Well, the blood that Jesus Christ shed on Calvary is continually cleansing. Once it's applied to your life through the act of being born again, it's continually cleansing you of your spiritual impurities. You're getting the principle here? I don't need a blood sacrifice for that anymore. Jesus Christ is who I'm looking for for my sacrifice. Now, 2,000 years ago on Calvary. So, people in the Old Testament, they were instructed that they could eat animals, but it could they could not eat the blood. The death of the animal was allowed by God to be a substitute for our death. The law of sin and death says the soul that sins, it's got to die. But God didn't want us all to die, so He began immediately to devise a plan to allow a substitute death in our place. That's what the sacrifices were for in the Old Testament. And the sacrifices were just bringing us to when Jesus Christ would come. And so that's why it's important that we share Jesus Christ and the testimony of what he did on Calvary to everybody on this planet. So, when Abel killed the animal, back to Cain and Abel, let me jump back there because i want to finish that. When Abel killed the animal, that death satisfied the law of sin and death, which says the soul that sins, it's got to die. By placing his faith in this law, that sin was rolled ahead to the time when the perfect sacrifice could in fact pay for that sin. Remember the Bible says no flesh was justified by the blood of, blood of bulls and goats but there was a, there was a, um, a measure put in place to when those, so, those sins could be paid for when Jesus Christ died on Calvary. The Old Testament, their sins were rolled forward to Calvary. We look back to Calvary. When Jesus Christ would ultimately die in our place, He would satisfy the law of sin and death. Man, aren't you so thankful for that? Why do I worship God the way I do and praise God, thank Him for coming and dying for me on a cross? Then you have, during when Israel came out of Egypt, God gave Moses a tabernacle plan. The, the tabernacle and the temple plans, if you remember, went out in the tabernacle plan while they were out in the wilderness. The temple plans, later on, they implemented where, that where men continued to sacrifice animals for the atonement for sin. There was the, you know, in the tabernacle and the temple plans, they had the, um, the brazen altar where an animal was killed, the brazen labor where the priest would wash. Then they went into the holy place uh, and then into the holiest of holies where the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, and God would come down and atone, and, um, and that would be an atonement for the sins of Israel, and it would roll their sins forward until a spotless lamb would come. It was a stopgap measure until Jesus Christ. After God gave Moses the tabernacle plan, Almighty God also devoted an entire book of the ceremonial law Uh, or I should say, to the ceremonial law, and it's called the book of Leviticus. This was an instruction to the tribe of Levi concerning the sacrifices that they would make, which included the uh, burnt offerings, sin-sin offerings, uh, peace offerings, the uh, wave offering, and um, the heave offering. There There were many types of offerings outlined in the book of Leviticus. Now, um, th- then you ha- you've got uh, Israel's five feasts. I mean, there's many things that go through here. I'm going to kind of breeze through here because I want to th- get to some more very important points. These are important, but, um, again, if you've been born again, uh, you, we're, uh, I- I'm just going to roll through here a little bit. So you have the five feasts. you got um, Passover, Pentecost, Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. All of the feasts are still observed in Israel today. All of these feasts have a fulfillment in the New Testament in the form of a spiritual feast that God has provided for us. Furthermore, in the book of Leviticus, there are detailed instructions concerning right and wrong. There were all sorts of laws concerning whom you could and could not marry, uh, laws about um, morality, immorality, And these were things the Israelites needed to know in order to be pleasing to God. And they would not be like the uh, heathen nations around them. They were to observe the laws that God, in His wisdom, gave to them for their benefit. Now, Leviticus is one of the five books of the law in the Old Testament. Uh, They're known as the books of the law because they contain the laws and instructions given to given by the Lord uh, through Moses to the people of Israel. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. However, the law... well I'm, I'm going to hold right here. I'm going I, to make sure you get this point. This is one of the most important points of the entire program. I'll give it to you after the break. But again, um, if you want to, come down, see us in Houston this weekend. I'll be doing another prophecy conference down there. All the information is at endtime.com. Go to the events tab and then the conferences. Man, love to see you down in Houston. It's going to be a great conference. It always is, and looking forward to it.
3: I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon-coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner.
1: You're listening to a replay of The End Time Show.
0: Now, remember that I said that the Old Testament had... Types and shadows of things that would come in the New Testament. So the law came as a schoolmaster to show us our guilt and teach the need for a Savior. It was, the Bible says, the law was a schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. No one was justified by the law. The preaching of righteousness is now given to bring salvation to all who will believe. Much of the epistles is devoted to explaining the difference between condemnation preaching and righteousness preaching, between law and grace. Um, and this is why it's very important. When you get into a If you're teaching a Bible study, make sure you're very clear on teaching somebody about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. They need to understand... The the word testament means will. The Old Testament um, was the old will of God. The New Testament is the new will of God. And I I make a special point of this because when some people start trying to understand the Bible, they get really tangled up and and, and they don't know how to relate them together, the Old and the New Testament. Both of them are the word of God. The Old Testament was given to bring us to the New Testament, you've got to bring that out in your Bible studies. They're not—they're not—they're not separate things. The Old Testament law, the Old Testament was a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ, and it's important to understand that we now uh, live under the new will of God, the New Testament. Okay, Galatians three verses twenty-one through twenty-nine. It says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up, unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond or free, there is neither male or female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, it does not mean there that there's no such thing as a male and female. Come on. It's saying that we're all one in Christ now. God is no respecter of persons. He still recognizes a male and a female. you got to clear that up nowadays, right? Okay, let's move on. I think I'm pretty much, I'm on verse 29. The Bible says, And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. It's a promise of eternal life, folks. But we're not under the law. Once you've been born again, now no more law of sin and death applies to you. Now you have this promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ and the act of Calvary that you have obeyed. The Bible says he's coming back in flaming fire to execute vengeance upon them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Okay? Now, the Old Testament, righteousness of the law. Romans 10, 5 tells us about the righteousness of the law. It says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. And this verse is explaining that the man who keeps these things, he will live. If he does not, he's going to die. Remember, that they would stone you for picking up sticks and things in the Old Testament. But Jesus came to bring us out of that. He allowed his disciples to pick corn on the Sabbath day. Okay? So the New Testament is righteousness by faith. Romans 10, verse 6-9 through 9 tells us what happens when we move into the new will of God. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." So, in the Old Testament, a person worked unto righteousness. In the New Testament, we believe unto righteousness. Now, there is more to it than just simply believing. The Bible says the devils believe in one God and tremble, but that doesn't mean they're going to be saved. This means that you simply have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he did in Calvary And then obey the the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's, again, that's why we put out the what do you mean born again tract. Jesus told, told Nicodemus, he didn't say, except you believe, you cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man's born again, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. The Bible says, he that cometh to God must first believe. That he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Yes, you absolutely have to believe in God and you'll be saved. But that doesn't mean that you say, well, I don't, you know, that disannules all the other 30 some thousand plus verses in the Bible that helps me get there. You got to look at all the verses. And that's why we put out the What Do You Mean Born Again brochure. Now, the Old Testament was designed to give us a knowledge of sin. There were so many laws 613 laws. The New Testament came to teach us the cure for sin. Now again, everybody's doing your Bible studies and different things. Make sure you you help people to understand the transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. You can help unlock so many minds by doing this. The New Testament says, Being therefore made free from sin, we have peace with God. The Old Testament was designed for condemnation It was designed to convince us of guilt in order to drive us to repentance. The New Testament came to free us from guilt. It's God's will for everyone to live a totally guilt-free life. Think about that. The Bible says, He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Once you're born again in God's eyes, you can be perfect according to the conscience. Think about that. Romans 8.1 says, there, there are a lot of Christians today that don't really understand their salvation. There's, I, I know some Christians that have been Christians for years that are walking around with a guilty conscience. Ah, uh, I did something uh, 15 years ago and Satan's still beating me up over that. Get over it. The Bible says if you ask God to forgive you, he is just to do that. Get down, ask God to forgive you, Get up and stay on the straight and narrow and let's make it. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Don't let Satan just put you in a jail cell in your mind because of something you did 20 years ago. Repent, get up, serve God, and let's get on with winning winning this world for the cause of Jesus Christ. Okay. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation... To them which are in Christ Jesus, are you in Christ Jesus? Have you been born again? But I'm living under condemnation. I got guilt. Why? If you're doing the best you can to live for God, you're serving the Lord to the best of your ability, and you make a mistake, get down, repent, be sincere, and get up and keep on trucking. You can make it. Satan wants to get you bottled up, into a belief system that, I can't make this, I can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. But, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Once you understand what Calvary did for you, you absolutely can make it through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says, Let no man there, um, therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, a new moon, a Sabbath, We which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The Old Testament contains types and shadows of New Testament realities. We can understand the New Testament reality better if we understand the Old Testament shadows. But then now... Messiah is come. The law was a schoolmaster bringing us to who? Jesus Christ. The, you have the New Testament, the, the, the ministry of Jesus. Grace and, grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to bear witness of the truth. John 1:17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth did not come by the law. The rich young ruler had kept the law, right? But he still didn't have the truth. The Ten Commandments could not contain all of the truth. The law defined the problem, but Jesus brought the solution. Isn't this awesome once you understand what Jesus Christ did on Calvary and how I can apply that to my life? This will completely transcend. It, it, it will transition into a whole new belief system. This is revolutionary teaching, even to some Christians, because when some uh, the Christians that are living with a, a a guilty conscience and Satan's got you bound just in a in a in a um, in a jail cell in your mind that well I'm going to serve uh, the Lord to the best of my ability all my life and then Peter's going to slam the pearly gates right in my face. That thinking is not scriptural, it's not godly. God wants you to be free. They, you shall know the truth and the truth will do what? Keep you in that jail cell. No. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I experienced that. I haven't, uh, most of my life I didn't. But once I heard some of these teachings, revolutionary teachings, Irvin Baxter taught years ago, We've got a a DVD out uh, he did years ago called You Are Perfect. If you've never watched the You Are Perfect lesson, I mean a a minister and a minister's wife and an evangelist. I'm I'm talking about this is revolutionary teaching to people's life that you don't have to... A Christian is not supposed to live under condemnation and guilt. Jesus Christ did not want you to live that way. So Jesus Christ came to provide salvation and a wonderful way for us to live. I don't have to live under the law of sin and death. That doesn't apply to me anymore. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What a way to live. So, when I know I started all this with animal sacrifices, but I can't talk about animal sacrifice unless I talk about the solution to all that And that is the perfect sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ, the act of Calvary 2,000 years ago, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now I have a promise of eternal life that when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back, sends his angels to gather the elect, my feet will leave the ground. And you know what? Yours can too. And it's it's a promise from God Almighty. And it's in his word. The Old Testament brought us into the New Testament, brought us to Christ, and now I've got that hope in my life, and you can too. You say, well, you don't know what I've done, Dave. Irrelevant. Jesus Christ can heal you, and he can heal your mind and save you. You've got a promise. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. God bless.